Okay, today we have a very short letter. Our very short letter is on page Kuf Mem Aleph, and we have it on the screen today for the people watching. It's letter Yud, Tavshin, Ches, and like all the letters we're doing, it's from exactly 50 years ago, give or take exactly. This is from Chaf Dalet, other Aleph. It is a short letter, but I think it has a story behind it. When I say I think I, it has a story behind it, I mean, I can't be sure it does, but uh, just uh, force muting everybody. <laughs> you can always unmute yourselves. Um, I think it has a story behind it because it jogged some memories for me about the Rebbe's experience in this particular field. So let's let's read the letter and then let's talk about it for as long as we have together. Uh, the letter, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of it, or turn if you happen to have a print book, it's from a letter where the question had been, Somebody had asked whether they can move their father's bones to Eretz Yisrael. This is a pretty common question, as Peretz pointed out before we started talking. This comes up a lot. People bury, people get buried outside of Israel, and when it becomes possible to move people to Eretz Yisrael, or when it becomes uh, desired to move them, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it was possible before, and they suddenly have a change of heart. People want to reenter, disinter, and reenter their loved ones in Eretz Yisrael. So somebody wrote to the Rebbe asking if this was acceptable, and the Rebbe writes in classic form. First of all, I'm not I'm not touching this, not with a 10-foot pole. This is a question for a Pesach, and I expect you to call it off. The Rebbe does this every time somebody asks him for something that's an issue of practical Pesach, but it also is something we've seen in prior letters, a way that the Rebbe indicates that there is more to this than a yes or no question, that details matter. If it's a simple yes or no, I think the Rebbe is probably perfectly comfortable answering yes or no in a letter. This is something that will require Rav Meira we're going to get into today why there are some nuances to the subject. The Eid V'ikr, the Rebbe says, and this is really our take-home message. The Eid V'ikr, what's the most important thing, though? Probably plural. The best way, the, the most obligatory way to create an Eli Nishmas for your, for your ancestors. This is what parents and I were discussing. Guesses are open to what exactly this is. There's an extra hay in there. Point is, the Rebbe says, that the most important thing at hand is not necessarily where your ancestors are buried or taking care of their ancestral plots. That is a way to show honor to them, but the ultimate way to show honor to them is by keeping Torah and Mitzvahs. That is the ultimate honor that someone can pay their relatives who are deceased. And I think that's pretty significant because uh, just before we get into the halachic aspects and the background, that is pretty significant because a lot of people, they, they, uh, they think that the best way to honor their loved ones is to dedicate a building in their honor, to dedicate a, or to, to put out dedications for them or to uh, make their burial plots particularly lovely. I think you can pay a lot of places for a service that will come by and drop flowers by or clean up the area. This is a way of honoring the deceased, but the, the truth is the best way, and flowers are probably also, the truth way, the, in truth, the best way to honor the deceased is to keep Torah and mitzvahs, which is obviously the most difficult, so the one that people are least likely to pursue. It is much easier to dedicate a, uh, a, a building or, or a pu'ula uh, in honor of somebody, or say for Torah, in honor of someone who's departed, rather than actually keeping Torah and mitzvahs. But the Rebbe does stress that the easy way out is not our way. Okay, so going up to here, uh, the Rebbe says that this is a, a deeply nuanced subject, uh, enough that he says it needs a Rav Meira I think it's an open question why. I'm flipping over my screen right now so you can follow with me. It's a Din and Shulchan Aruch, and it's actually a really clear one. So it's an open question why the Rebbe thinks this requires a Meira It's a yes or no question. Are you allowed to disinter somebody buried in Chutz Laaretz and bury them in Eretz Yisrael? We'll read the Shulchan Aruch together. This is in Yeradeya. The simon is Shin, shin Samach Gimel. You're never allowed to disinter. You're never allowed to dig up a body and its bones, like the kever, 
not even from an honorable plot to another honorable plot. You're not allowed to move it from a bad plot to another bad plot. You can't even move someone from a bad plot to a good plot. You're not allowed to move bodies. Leave them alone, put them in the ground, and let them stay. Certainly, you're not allowed to take somebody out of a good plot and move them to a rotten plot. However, if it's within, if it's moving in shach, clarifies down there, you'll see in the, down there in the shach. He says that b'seich shaleh means, let's say he was buried in the wrong plot, a plot that doesn't belong to him, or in some general plot, or a mass grave, unfortunately. Are we allowed to move him to his family's plot? That you're absolutely allowed to do. You're allowed to move b'seich shaleh, even from a good plot to a bad plot, Mother. Because people generally want to be buried in their family plots near their relatives. So that's one exception to the rule. So we have a rule. Generally, we're not allowed to move people. Exception number one is that you can move someone from a plot that doesn't belong to them to a family plot. And then the second exception to the rule. Okay, that's a din in Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah does not disagree. This is it. Shulchan Aruch says, you're allowed to take somebody from Kutz Laaretz and bury them in Eretz Yisrael. So what's the question? Why is the Rebbe asking that we need a Rav Meira Heira? It's an open question. We have a shach here. Shach says why you're allowed to do it. The shach says, that's in days. I'm sorry, that's not the one I wanted. I wanted Gimel. There we go. Why is it Mutter to move someone to Eretz Yisrael? Because it's a kapara for him. It helps the dead when you move them to Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because the dirt of Eretz Yisrael causes a kapara. It atones for them. It's the last line of Hazinu, right? And, the, and the, uh, the dirt of the land will be an atonement for the people. So we have a tradition that the Afar of Eretz Yisrael is mechaper, and you actually see in the Ramad down here, if you look near the bottom in the red text, that that's why there's a minute to put a little bit of the dirt of Eretz Yisrael into the coffin, into the kever with the mace. I was on a, I was in a, a Hebra Kedisha for a little while, and we absolutely did this. We had little vials of of Eretz Yisrael dirt that we would put in before we buried them. So this is a practice. Yesh minagal zemash yismeichu. He says there's what to rely on. There certainly is. In addition to the Tanchuma mentioned here, there's the Yerushami that says it explicitly. In any event, there seems to be a mile for the dead person of moving them to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, since it benefits them, it's allowed. So why does this need a Rav Simply dig up the relative and move them to Eretz Yisrael. The answer to this question is probably, the Rebbe doesn't say why, but it's probably as like three zayars in a Yerushami. So uh, there's a zayar in Parshas Vayichi, I'm giving you the sources so you can look them up. 225b, it's in Truma, 141b, it's in Achre, 72b. Each of these sources explicitly say that the land only atones for a person if they merited to live there in their lifetime. It doesn't work if a person never went to Eretz Yisrael. That this, you, 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 can't, you can't game the system. Somebody who lives in Eretz Yisrael and dies in Eretz Yisrael and is buried in Eretz Yisrael, the soil of the ground does an atonement for them. But you can't live your whole life in Chutzlar, it's spurning the land of Israel and turning your back on it and suddenly say, hey, I'd like the kapara. That doesn't work. That's very much the Lashon of the Zayar. There's Yerushalmi that is, uh, that is almost certainly the same position. Yerushalmi is in Kilayim 9.3. Um, I have it on my tiny screen, not on my big screen, so I'll just read it to you. It says, Rabbi Birkiria, very Bar Kiria. I just don't have a space there. Bar Kiria. His name, his name was Bar Kiria. He's not a major character in the Babli, but he's all over the Yerushalmi. And um, Rabbi Elazar, they were one time taking a walk and they saw some coffins being brought into Eretz Yisrael from outside of Eretz Yisrael. And Bar Kiria turns to Rabbi Elazar and says, what good is this going to do for them? And he starts reading Pesukim from Yemiyo. He says, They've inherited um, my inheritance you considered disgusting during your lifetime. And then he says, he reads the rest of the Pesuk. And in, and in your death, you came and you defiled my lands. He's saying, look, 
you didn't bother coming to my land while you were alive, and now you're finally showing up, and you're showing up as a mess, which is tummy. Nobody needs you. So this is what Barkiria says to people coming into Eretz Yisrael who are buried outside of Eretz Yisrael. Based on this Zayar and the Yerushalmi, it is brought down by a lot of Chassidish Haposkim that we do not follow this din in Shulchan Aruch. It says in Shulchan Aruch very clearly that you're allowed to move a mess from outside of Eretz Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. And uh, lots of Chassidish Haposkim think maybe you can't, because although the Shulchan Aruch rules this way, it's against the Zayar, it's against three Zayars and against Yerushalmi. The Divre Yitziv, who was the Kloisenberger Rebbe, Yeradeya 224, he holds based on this Zayar and on us and on this Yerushalmi that Chassidim are not permitted to do this, that uh, the people who follow the Zayar, people who follow the mystical side of the Torah, they are not permitted to take a body that was buried in Chutzlars and move it to Eretz Yisrael because it doesn't work. And if you look back in the Shach, that makes a lot of sense. What's the whole reason we're allowed to do it? Because it provides a kapara. And the Zayar tells us it's not going to provide a kapara. If it's not going to provide a kapara, if it's not an atonement, then who gave you a head to remove them? Um, Rav Meisha does not pass him like this in his chuvas, but then again, not a chesedish apesik. Um, so it does seem that there might be a divide here between chesedish apeskim and a litvish apeskim on whether we're allowed to move people outside, move people from outside of Israel into Israel. So that's the first point: is that this is a nuanced issue. And the Rebbe, when he says to seek out a meira he's talking. Oh no, I got disconnected from this thing I wanted to show you. Maybe I can still show it to you. Let's see if it reconnects. So one of the reasons that Rebbe says keiras rab meira rab you have to ask somebody practically what to do, is because there are multiple shitas on exactly how much we, uh, exactly how much we we keep this dinner shulchan aruch. I have a note here from Mendel Sandhouse. Mendel Sandhouse writes: My wife's grandfather, Rabbi Shalom Edelman, was buried in Morocco during COVID with a with a with with a condition with, with a condition that he be moved. Um, that actually is brought in Puskim. If the mess has a condition he be moved, then according to all shittas, you're allowed to move him. Um, according to all shittas, you're allowed to move him. That's actually brought, it's, 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 it's specifically in a Gemara. I think it's in Sanhedrin in the Mems. There's a Gemara that specifically says that if they make that, if they make that the rule, you're allowed to move them. We're actually going to cover it a little bit today. The uh, Sanhedrin, uh, Mendel in the also writes, Sanhedrin, uh? the Mems, Sanhedrin in the Mems is what we're learning on Tuesdays. Oh, uh, wow. So, so far, are you familiar with this? Well, the ones we discussed was that we move um, Haruge Beisden, um, they bury them separately. And then after the flesh decomposes, they move the, uh, the bones to cave to cave robbers. Yeah, you're right in the right section. So you should be getting to this pretty soon. I think it's in a, I think it's in like Memvav or something. Anyway, right uh, this, this idea of making a condition is, is already a Perish Gemara, so it's absolutely allowed. Then Mendel adds that it's a side note that he was there for a year or so and his body was complete and had not decomposed. Very holy person, clearly. Um, going back to this, so uh, I think we've explained why this is a nuanced topic that needs to be seen halakhically. What I'd like to add, though, is that the Rebbe has particular knowledge of how nuanced this topic is because the Rebbe had a run-in with this topic in his youth. So in the year, um, let me get my years down here. I have my notes. I'm bad at dates. In the year 5688, the Rebbe arrives in Berlin. When he arrives in Berlin, he wants to get into the Berlin library and possibly to get into a Berlin curriculum. There was some sort of a class he couldn't join. It's not clear exactly why he needed this, but he needed some certificate saying that he was a rabbi. Now, the Rebbe had already gotten some form of smicha from the Ragachover, which is something that most of us are familiar with, but that wasn't sufficient. It said something on it like he knows Shas and Poskin backwards and forwards, and that wasn't enough for the secular Berlin, uh, the Berlin University. So they needed better paperwork. The only person who they would trust to say that he was a certified rabbi and was able to enter the libraries was the one of the big rabbis, Orthodox rabbi, but he was also respected very much by the secular community living in Berlin. And as all of those of you, those of you who follow my recordings know, I, I like to point him out often because he's one of the seven or eight famous Yechils ever to have lived, of Yechil Yaakov Weinberg, the Suridei So He was living in Berlin at the time. He was widely respected. He had an institute there that gave smicha and a certificate that was honored by Berlin itself. 
And the Rebbe needed to go to him to get a certificate. So the Rebbe shows up in his office and says, I'd like a certificate attesting to my smicha. I can prove that I've gotten it before. I just need you to sign off. And uh, Rabbi Weinberg, the Siddur Deish, said to him, not happening. You have to sit through the entire smicha curriculum. I don't just hand these things out like candy. And the Rebbe says, look, you got to do me a favor. I'm not going to be able to get in. It's going to take like four years to go through your program. Do you have any options for me? It's unclear whether the Rebbe or the Sridesh proposed the following deal, but this was the deal. The Sridesh reached back on his shelf behind him and pulled out a pamphlet he'd been working on. This pamphlet is around now. You can read it. It's called Pinay Atzmei Samesim, whether you're allowed to disinter dead people. When you're allowed to move them from one place to another, the book specifically doesn't focus on Eretz Israel. It specifically focuses on moving people from one place in Eastern Europe to another. But I believe it discusses, but it does discuss Eretz Israel in passing, at least in a couple of the Prakim. He'd just written an extensive book on the topic. He hands this to the Rebbe, and the challenge is that if overnight you can learn this entire book and come back and give me some good thoughts on it and show that you understand it fully, then uh, then I'll give you my smicha as if you've been here for the whole program. Otherwise, you got to sit for the regular session. The Rebbe goes home, works hard, and comes back the next morning, and he knows the material. He knows the material cold. He gets his smicha from Rabbi Yaakov Michael Weinberg, the Sudei Deish. So the Rebbe studied this in depth. Um, we actually know this story from uh, a Gerer Chassid. Nachman Kowalski is his name. He was in Zurich, and he one time asked, he was very close to the Sudeish, he one time asked the Sudeish why he hadn't visited the Rebbe. And once the Rebbe had already become the Rebbe, the Sudeish answered, I can't visit him or write to him because I'd have to address him as a Goyen Atzadik Arab since he's a Rebbe, and, uh, and he was my student, and I'm not comfortable using that, using that terminology. So the Gerachas said to him, when was he your student? And that's how, the, that's how the story originally came out. He said many nice things about the Rebbe, by the way. He always called him an Adam Gadol to Yisrael. Anyway, this was a, a nice story, and we didn't have many details on it until the Rebbe's Rishimus came out. In the Rishimus, if you go to 127 and 128, you'll find that the Rebbe's notes on this Sefer have been preserved. We have the Rebbe's Ha'aras on this Sefer that he submitted as his Smith attest, and the date on them is from Tevis 55688, which would have been the exact date that he was trying to take this test. So we actually have a transcript, more or less, of the Rebbe's analysis of this work by the Sudeish, of the Rebbe's analysis of when you're allowed to move bodies from one place to another, Basically, when the Rebbe was a younger man, before he was Rebbe, he, he invested a significant amount of time, maybe one night, but a significant amount of energy into writing extensive notes. It's like 20 pages long on, uh, on his orders on this topic. I had it open on this screen here, but now I don't because it decided to close on me. I can probably pull it up again. It's okay. I'll just give you some highlights. If you don't mind, I'll give you some highlights, and then we'll probably call it a day. Um, one sample that I, I was digging through, it. it's like 20 pages long. I didn't have time to read the entire thing, maybe later. But one of the ways that the Rebbe spun off of the, um, the Sridei Esh's comments on when they're allowed to move a body is the Sridei Esh asked a question. It says in, here we are, Sanhedrin 46b, you ready, Peretz? Okay. Yep. Ready or not? Yep. Yeah, Peretz is ready. 46b. You can add this to your share because the Rebbe has a comment on this. It says Sanhedrin 46b, it says that a person is not allowed to ask not to be buried. A person can't say, it is my final wish that you just leave me out on the street and let the birds pick at me. That's, that's not okay. And the reason why it's actually an Afghamino why, but the Gemara's conclusion is the reason why is because we don't honor a person's wishes if they want to bring Bizayan onto somebody else. And his family would be humiliated to see him rotting in the street. So we don't listen to him, even though this is the wishes of the dead. And we generally honor the wishes of someone on their deathbed very seriously. If their wishes are to bring Bizayan to somebody else, to humiliate somebody else, in this case, their family members, we don't listen to them. So asks the Sunida Eish, how are we allowed to honor the, the wishes of the Mesa and move him, for example, in the case of Mendel's relative? where this person specifically made a rule, he made a stipulation when that he wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, so we're allowed to honor his wishes and move him. Isn't that a bizarre to the other people in the cemetery? Other people in the cemetery ask, why, why are you moving me? Why are you moving these people away from me? Do you, do, you, do, you not, do you not like the location? Is there something wrong? Do we smell? I don't know. 
the, the other people get up, the other, the other dead people get upset. So the Sudeteash asks how it's allowed to honor someone's wishes to move them out of a cemetery when doing so causes a bazillion to their neighbors in the cemetery. And the Sudeteash then adds that if you'll say we don't worry about the dignity of a bunch of dead people in a cemetery, let me show you a Bryce that says the Sudeteash Gamliel institutes several uh, rules to protect the dignity of dead people, including the fact that they used to only cover the faces of people who died of starvation because they had bad looking faces and they used to leave rich people's faces uncovered. But then they felt they were humiliating the people who died of starvation. So they started covering everybody's face. That's why we don't do open caskets. So as not so as to honor everybody equally. This was one of the Takanas of the Braisa. So it sounds like we do care about the feelings of dead people. This is the situation. He leaves it as a question. The Rebbe in his Ha'aras and his Rishimas, he says, first of all, he can prove from many places that the Braisa that, that, that the situation is quoting is not talking about the honor of dead people. It's talking about the honor of living people. The reason why we cover the faces of the dead poor and the dead rich alike is so as not to humiliate the people who are starving, who are alive. And the Rebbe proves this from many places, but the truth is, as the Rebbe himself says, there's the Fedosh in Yeradeya 353 1. I'll read it to you. That they used to do things a certain way and then they changed it. And this is the Lush that's important. The living poor were misbashim. They were embarrassed. So the Shulchan Aruch itself, Paskins, that we're talking about the living dead here. So the Rebbe pushes away this Braisa. As for any humiliation suffered by the dead themselves, the Rebbe thinks they're fine with it as long as it's a good reason. For example, honoring the wishes of the mace, because as soon as they know that it's a good reason, it's a halachic reason, they don't believe that they're being slighted. So the Rebbe says there's no way these the other people in the cemetery are being slighted by us doing a mitzvah. The mitzvah here is to honor the wishes of the dead or to move them there. It's a sral, if it's shayach, if it's paskin, and uh, that doesn't upset the dead at all. So the Rebbe isn't has that like, like this. Isn't yeah. that like like Larash? It sounds like leg the rush doesn't apply when they know you're doing the right thing. Um, that's the way I'll, I'll read you the Rebbe's lush, and I wanted to have it on the screen, but my thing timed out. So just read you. The Rebbe says, <laughs> When we move a dead body from one cemetery to another, <laughs> because they originally made this condition, like in Mendel's case, <laughs> or because it's a mitzvah the kaim, because it's a mitzvah to listen to them. Here's the Rebbe. <laughs> They know, they know, they know that it's not that we're not moving him because we don't want to leave him with those people who are in the cemetery. That's why we're moving him. They know that just because that's what the mace asked. Therefore, the Sharmesim have no from, from from the from initially. They initially have no bazayan because they know we're doing it to honor the words in the mess. So we do Shashiel, worry about leg larash in a lot of cases, but the Rebbe doesn't seem to feel we worry about leg larash where there's a perfectly reasonable explanation. And here the perfectly reasonable explanation was that we're doing a mitzvah. This really wasn't, uh, the point here wasn't necessarily to paskin, especially since the Rebbe himself in the letter says you need a rav meira to paskin on such issues. But the point here was more to draw out the idea that the Rebbe um, when he says this is a complex issue that a Pesach needs to look at, whether you're allowed to move someone from Chutzlar to Eretz Yisrael, he's not just throwing away a Shulchan Aruch that says very clearly that you're allowed to, or dealing, or necessarily even just dealing with the Kabbalistic implications brought in the in, in the uh, in the Kloisenberger and in other places. The Rebbe is also dealing with the fact that he's well aware of how extensive these shittas can get. He's dived into it himself. This is part of this. Is, the Rebbe has 20 pages of original writing on this topic. And so he's saying this is a, this is not a topic you can be flippant about. It is not necessarily the case that you always can or always can't. It needs a Rav Meira Heira. And then and along the way, it reflects the story of how the Rebbe got smicha. So I thought it tied things together nicely. Anybody have any questions, comments, or personal stories? 
in my experience, whenever I do these halachic ones, no one ever talks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get poll track in here. Oh, that's right. That's is right. It, no, that's is it bearing. important? Is it an important yep. thing to be buried in Israel? Which uh, what, um, my question is sort of like, if it was that important, then there would probably be some sort of prusbal style proclamation during the burial to make that well, condition for everybody. It's definitely important to have Afar at Israel on there. As I mentioned earlier, when, when I was working in the Chavra Kedusha, we always practice this minig that's in the of putting some of the Afar at Israel in there because of the It's important to be buried in Eretz Israel. That really depends on whether you hold like the Shulchan Aruch or like the, or like the Yerushalmi, right? So Yerushalmi implies that you get nothing out of it if you lived your whole life in Futzlar. So you're not gaining anything. It's a Zaya, you're not gaining anything. In that case, I guess it really wouldn't be important. Someone who's never visited has no Kapara by moving there. Uh, according to the Yerushalmi. But Shulchan Aruch believes it's such a major advantage that you're allowed to, that you're allowed to cause a design into a corpse in order to do it because it's good for him. Better to, uh, and if you read up, read this top shot here that's on my screen. The reason why we generally don't exhume a body is up here. It's terrifying. I'm going to read it to you. Atam, the reason why we generally don't exhume bodies, the reason, moving them around is very difficult. They think they've been summoned for the Yemadin. They think they've been summoned to be judged and they freak out. So it's very painful to move a body. And nonetheless, we do it because ultimately it helps them a lot to move the narrative Israel. So Shulchan Aruch's position is that it's an enormous mila, such an enormous mila that it overrides the fact that we're freaking them out and making them think the Yemadin has arrived. But on the other hand, uh, it looks like from the Kabbalistic sources, from the Yudushami, that there may be no advantage at all. So I guess that's kind of an open question, whether there's an enormous advantage to being buried in Eretz Israel. Something anecdotally that we say a lot about the Rabbeim's decision to put their tzians in Chutzlaretz, was that it was an incredible sacrifice out there Rachel when uh, Rachel's Mavaka that Rachel is crying by the way that she's not buried in Eretz Israel because she needs to be there for her children in Golis. We always frame this as an incredible sacrifice, as though it would have been better to have been buried in Eretz Israel. So maybe there's a Mila there, but that's a that's a story, not a Psaac. Oh, yeah. <laughs>